Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, so this is the, the part of the service that we, we read some verses from the Bible. We open God's Word, and uh, we believe at City Church North that the Bible applies to our lives, and the Bible is a tool that God gives us to stay close to Him, uh, to get direction from Him, and uh, to keep us safe. So we're in First uh, Corinthians this morning, and so we're continuing through our series, and we're in chapter 12 uh, of First Corinthians. And Julie... Uh, Forbes from our St. Macar site. She last week uh, spoke from chapter 13. So we're kind of going back and forth a little bit. And I believe some very powerful stuff happened with God, which is brilliant. It's so good. And it got me really excited. I was over at uh, Mad Minis and I came back in and everyone was just saying how what an amazing time it was. And I, w- I was excited because we want powerful God moments to become the norm here at City Church. Uh, we want to be expecting God uh, every Sunday we walk in to, to shake our hearts, to shake our lives in, in ways that, that things shift. That when we leave, we know that's changed. That's changed. God's met us in that area. So, and if we look at the Bible, when we look at the Bible each week and we, we take a passage, if we look at the Bible and accounts of different people who have done amazing things, it would be a fair assumption to say that it seems like we here this morning, we seem like quite, quite an ordinary bunch. If we're to look at people in the Bible and see how God has used them, that how could we match up to these powerhouses of the, the Bible, uh, Bible times? What do we have in common? It's like, a bit like walking in to face the dragons in Dragon's Den. That's what the kind of picture that we sometimes conjure up in our minds. Just these powerhouses that God has used so amazingly. We have Moses, for example, who led the slaves out of Egypt. David, who is a righteous king and a a leader, a man who is chasing after God's heart. We have Nehemiah, a man who knew God's call to rebuild a wall which had broken down and brought communities together to do that. We have Noah, who built an ark in the face of a flood that was going to come and destroy everything around it. We have Gideon, we have Joshua. There's loads that we could reel off. They have all done amazing things. And just the scale of what we read could be intimidating to us. We could feel pretty small and we could think, how how do we measure up to that? But these were all normal people. These were all people who had weaknesses. These were all people who had insecurities, things they didn't do well, mistakes, dark times. So it's fair to say we do have something in common. And the reality for those people in the Bible is that in their ordinary lives, God made the extraordinary happen through them. And that's the other thing that we have in common, that God wants to do exactly the same with us. He wants to move of us in power. He wants to use us. We worship a God who provides a way for us, a God who gives us a word, who gives us a dream and opens the doors to make that happen when it all seems finished. A God who doesn't do coincidences, but has perfectly crafted a plan for each and every one of us here this morning to use us, to work through us, in and through us in amazing ways, even when life is tough, even when we do have weaknesses. And for God to work in and through us, he gives us everything we need. And part of that, the equipping, is the passage that we're going to read this morning. Uh, I wonder if we could just pray before we do that and, and do the Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to increase in this place. Will your spirit just dwell, Lord, among us, in our hearts, in our minds? I 
pray this morning it won't be the, my words or, or me that's up here. It'll just be you just working through, Lord. It'll be you shining through, Father. I want to meet with you this morning, Lord, and we just say, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I wonder, Mary, could you distribute our Bibles? Is that okay? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and we'll get a Bible out to you. Uh, if you don't have one at home, we'd love you to take one and take it home with you. And in these Bibles, it's in page 1153. And we're going to start on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It should also be up on the screen, though it is quite small. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Thank you, dear. All right. Let's read. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Amen. So we have Paul speaking concerning spiritual gifts, and this explanation and brief summary from Paul does not cover everything we need to know about spiritual gifts. And for those of us who are maybe sitting here thinking, what on earth are spiritual gifts? Like what, what does that mean? God has a whole set of tools and gifts to distribute to people who have accepted Jesus into their lives, to help them, to guide us, and to reach out to others. In verse 4, it says there's different gifts, different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And then from verse 7, Paul goes through some of them. Uh, we have the gift of faith, where it's a faith that is just rooted so deep in, in, in some person's life that they just power through in terms of, I believe God, is, God has put me here, and I, in faith I am here, and in faith I am going to do what God has commanded me to do. We have healing, where we get to, to play a part. We get to pray and ask God's Spirit to heal other people and that could be physically that could be mentally that could be a whole host of things spiritually we have the gift of healing we have prophecy where God gives us words and pictures to encourage one another it could be an event for the future it could be a word just to to build that person up it could be that word that, that changes the course of that person's life that God has given you that God has planted in you to use you and there's loads loads of others God has given us these gifts to encourage, but also to show a light of God's power in the darkness where people don't know the hope we have. And not just to use them in here. This is the practice ground. This is where we can practice. This is where we 
we get it wrong. We're still going to get it wrong out there sometimes, but this is where we can have a good old practice. God wants us to use it outside these walls. Use them outside these walls. And he wants us to be vessels. Uh, somebody once said, our assignment has never been about, I think it was Rick Warren, our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but what God can do through us. That is the essence of the gospel, to do exactly what Jesus did. So God wants to work through us, every single one of us. And I want us to look at spiritual gifts this morning in a slightly different angle and to base it on experiences that I'm sure a lot of us have had uh, sitting here this morning. And it's to do with when we receive gifts. And uh, I'm sure that we're all going to hear the different uh, responses that I'm going to go through. Uh, and as we're having a giggle and maybe thinking of certain family members, oh, that's just like mother, or that's just like Auntie Jeanette, she says that. I want us to examine our hearts afresh when it comes to spiritual gifts. Which responses do we reel off when we hear about spiritual gifts? Or God using us in general. And I can say I've been guilty of all these responses and I still battle. But an awareness allows God to move in these areas. It allows God to, to help us and to guide us. So, uh, and I just urge as we approach spiritual gifts this morning that we do that with soft hearts and an eagerness. In 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to look at that a little bit later on. It says eagerly desire, eagerly desire. Because God's gifts are good gifts. There's nothing rubbish about what God is ready to gift us. And on that point, I had a wee look at the best, worst Christmas gifts. The best, worst Christmas gifts. There is such a Google search. It brought up quite a lot. I was on the Guardian website. This is totally 100% true. There was a gift a man gave to his wife, an iron and an ironing board for Christmas. And she said as well, he is now my ex-husband after that. We have a doorknob. This is genuine. We have a potato masher. Can you imagine getting a potato masher? Uh, there's one as well. My college boyfriend was a shoplifter. Every gift I ever got from him was stolen. I didn't find out until after we broke up and it explained the odd gifts, always small things that I'd never expressed much interest in, but would always be easy to nab. That's pretty rubbish. Also, another one, a DVD of Marley and Me which doesn't sound so bad, as a present to get over me putting down my lab. That's a shame, isn't it? So for those of us that haven't seen Marley and me, the, their Labrador ends up passing away at the end, and it's very emotional. I did cry quite a bit, but that's maybe not the greatest gift. The point being that God's gifts are always there. They're always there out of his goodness. They're always good gifts. They serve a purpose, and they're exciting. They're alive, and they reveal and shine Jesus' hope and salvation in a broken and lost world. So let's have a look at some of the responses. So firstly, we have, oh, don't worry about me. Maybe we know one or, one or two people in our families, our friends, when we speak about Christmas, our birthdays, they say, oh, don't you be worrying about me. I don't want anything. I'm quite all right. Uh, you focus on the others. And my mother is, is guilty of this. Uh, I'll speak to her about Christmas this year, and she says, I was going to do a Northern Irish accent. I don't think I will. Now you remember, son, don't be spending your money on me. You focus on Joshua and Mary. Which, if I listened to her, would transpire into quite an awkward Christmas morning when we're all opening our presents. And I know my mum is doing it from a, from a good place. And, but we long for her to feel a part 
of things, to receive every once in a while. Mum never stops being a mum. She gives out so much and continues to do so. But Jesus longs for all of us to know that we have a part to play. And when it comes to Jesus and his work, some people would believe that only the 12 apostles uh, had the power and the authority to do the works of Jesus that was seen in the New Testament. However, if you look at the biblical texts concerning uh, Jesus giving out his power and his authority, uh, this, is, this is a myth. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, that he not only gives out his power and authority to the 12 disciples, but he gives it to 72 disciples. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 15, it says that all believers will have this type of power. So what we need to do is learn how to use the power and the authority to do the works that Jesus is calling us to do. Learn how to use the spiritual gifts. And when we say, oh, don't worry about me, it's okay. You have bigger fish to fry. We miss out. We, we adopt a, a way of living that gets us by, that ticks a box. And Jesus doesn't want us to live that kind of life as Christians when we have accepted them into our lives. A life filled with Jesus is the most exciting journey we can take. And nothing should compare. And we, when we say to Jesus, don't, I'm not going to bother with that gift. Don't worry about me. We miss out on the amazing stuff that, that Jesus wants to do through us. The miracles he wants to show us. So we have, don't worry about me. Secondly, we have, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. There are many times in the last nine years of knowing my lovely wife, Mary, that she has surprised me with little gifts here and there. Uh, and it's awesome. It's really good. Nice little encouragement. But there have been a few times upon receiving them, whether it's a, my, a new CD of a band that I like, or my favorite magazine, or Percy Pigs. I love Percy Pigs from Marks and Spencers, or DVDs. I have to myself have thought, I don't deserve this. I've been a lousy husband this last week. I was lazy. I wound Mary up maybe intentionally. I didn't listen or support her very much. See, Mary wasn't given those gifts out of merit. She wasn't given them out of merit. Otherwise, I wouldn't get very much at all. But they were given out of love. They were given out of love. Though the more I think about it, when I received those gifts, there was always a little favor afterwards. But never mind. We'll, we'll gloss over that while I'm eating my Percy pigs. Can you just... No, no, never mind. I've often thought uh, this when it comes to spiritual gifts, that God through his spirit is gifting us really powerful, important, life-changing gifts. And then I thought, I don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. And the truth, in short, is that we don't. We don't. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son Jesus to cover that don't deserve bit. Jesus bridged that gap through his death. God loves us and is longing to draw close to us. Jesus stepped in for our fallen nature. And we can be on the team. We're ready to jo join, ready to go. We don't earn grace, mercy, God's love, prophecy, gifts of healing, knowledge, faith. It's not given out and taken away based on our performance, based on the mistakes we make. When we turn away, when we get angry with God, they're still there, they're still available. 
So maybe some of us sitting here this morning feel we can't be used because of our past. We can't be used because of the week we've had and how we've treated people or how we've acted, the mistakes that we've made, our thoughts, how we feel, words that have been spoken over our lives. Jesus wants to scoop all that up right now. He wants to take all that away. Accept the gifts that he's given you. They're free and they're rooted in love. I wonder if we could just pray very quickly. Lord, we just pray against any works of the enemy and, and, and speak in those words that we don't deserve what you have for us, Lord. And right now, we, if, if we picture that word or we know what that is, Lord, we just want to walk up to your feet, Father, and we want to leave them at your feet. And maybe just do that right now. And Jesus is just going to carry that so you don't need to anymore. He's going to take it away. Lord, will you just take it away in Jesus' name? Take away any doubt, Lord. Take away any, any sense that we don't deserve what you have for us, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that through him we have we have access, Lord. We have relationship, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we have, I don't deserve this. Thirdly, we've got, they've got better gifts. They got better gifts. What use is this one? This is like a trap when it comes to spiritual gifts. Uh, a certain Christmas, I recall, uh, one of my parents' friends had got myself and my sister a Christmas presents and being quite excited about that, we opened it up. My sister got, I think it was a £20 HMV voucher, which is pretty decent. I was like, oh, you've done well there. Uh, she can get a few CDs and, and head to HMV. And I got a calendar. <laughs> and when I got that calendar, I was just, I opened it up and inside, well, outside I was like, oh, that's brilliant, a calendar. And, on the inside, this is what I said. I'm 14. Why do I want a calendar? I don't need to know dates and days. I just need to turn up to school and boys' brigade and church on time. I don't have any plans. I don't need to know what date St. George's Day is. So upon receiving this calendar, I had a plan. I, I went to my parents and I proposed that it becomes a shared calendar. It becomes a calendar that me and my sister could both use. And uh, with that, then the HMV voucher could become a shared voucher, £10 each. But uh, they weren't having any of that at all. And it didn't work. And my sister went and bought, I think it was a Spice Girls CD. And I probably ended up listening to it more than she did anyway. So it was probably a win-win situation. With the gifts that God gives us, all of them are important. And all of them are supernatural. We may have the spiritual heavyweights, the power tools, if you, if you like, of prophecy, of miracles, of healing. Then we have the gifts of maybe encouragement, mercy, administration. Uh, Jeannie Morgan, who is a lady who at City Church we love and comes along sometimes and does prayer ministry training. She's wrote a brilliant book called Encounter the Holy Spirit. And she speaks about these gifts, uh, the gifts that I said, like power tools. The upfront kind of dramatic in, in a sense of God's power and kingdom just breaking through. And you can see that she speaks of those. But she also speaks of spiritual muscles, which I love. The ones that are necessary but are mainly hidden. The gifts that I said of encouragement, of mercy, of administration. 
we mustn't fall into the trap of believing that some are more attractive than others. Or what use are thinking, what use is this gift that, I, that God's given me, that God's given me a heart? What use is this really when I look over at this and I see all this stuff? Like what, why, why God? We need all of us doing this stuff. And I, I felt uh, as I was preparing this, just to highlight one or two of, of those gifts, of the spiritual muscle gifts, and just to encourage. One of the gifts is the gift of encouragement. And the gift of encouragement is something deeper than just a nice word. It's a deep sense and a desire from the very gut, the very inbuilt of who you are to build people up, to build people up. Through the Holy Spirit, you provide water to people's souls who are spiritually dry, who life is just, just a battle. Your job, if you have the gift of encouragement, well, it just naturally comes to you. You just have a desire to be drawn to these people and to build them up, to show God to them. God wants to bring you to a place where you realize the gifts that he, have, he has given you. He wants to do amazing things for you and not to compare and not to look around and see, I, was, I wish I was like them. And then we have the gift of hospitality. Just another one to highlight. A gift where you love the hustle and bustle of people in and around your home, perhaps. Supporting, buying extra food and inviting people around. Having a large dinner table, open door policy, cuppas, cakes, supper. And that's where meaningful relationships are built. That's where we draw people in. And uh, one family who do this remarkably well is the Juices, for example. And, and the South Side, James and Tory Juice, just seeing them in terms of the, every time I speak to James, it's like, oh, we had such and such over to stay. Or, oh, such and such was in. And they just keep a key under the mat and they arrive at their house and there's people there. I just love that. They so evidently have the gift of hospitality. It's just a few examples, but the point being that they all matter and to refuse the temptation of comparison. There's a quote, uh, it was from a blog actually that a girl had wrote about comparison and it was just really uh, thought provoking and she says this, I am the me that God designed. He didn't make me on accident. He didn't form me with some mold in mind that he was trying to measure up to. He is infinitely creative and brilliant. Every time God creates, he does so with intention. He utilized an equal and exact amount of creativity when he made you and every other person on this planet. When we choose to compare ourselves with others around us and the fictitious woman we see in the magazine, the sports person, the model, the next door neighbor, the person with the other spiritual gift, I added that bit in, we aren't only making life harder on ourselves. We're telling God he didn't do a good enough job and he doesn't know what he's doing. Comparison can distract us from the plans that Jesus wants to walk with us in. We try to chase another person's journey, but we find ourselves losing direction on our own journey and taking our eyes off that. Maybe this morning you know exactly the gifts that God has given you. And comparison is just robbing you of your effectiveness. Or maybe you don't know yet what gifts you have. And that's okay. Let's be asking afresh this morning. On comparison, there's a few scriptures you might want to write down. We don't have time to go into too much detail with them. But Galatians 1.10 
speaks about, do you seek the approval of man or do you seek the approval of God? Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry and be humble. And then we also have Matthew 7 verse 1, Romans 12 verse 3, and the beginning of Matthew 20, where there's a parable that Jesus told about people who are working. I think it was a, a vineyard, I can't remember exactly where it was, but they start at different times. They start at different times, yet they receive the same amount at the end of the day in terms of their payment. Don't let comparison rob you of what God has, has gifted us this morning. So we have, they've got better gifts. Fourthly, I'm still waiting for my gift. With my uh, family in Inverness, it feels like they don't particularly trust the Royal Mail. It feels like I'm going back to my family. I love my family, just to reiterate. <laughs> but they're just good, good examples, good simple examples. It feels like they don't particularly love the Royal Mail because they don't use it. When it comes to birthdays, Christmases, occasions, anniversaries, they stockpile until we're through or they're through to our house. So what it means is that I'm still waiting for my birthday present three months later on. And it does lose a little bit of the birthday magic, I'll be honest, when I do receive it in December and my birthday was in September. Does anyone else have experience of that at all? Or is it just, no, yeah, okay, we've got a few nods, that's good. And initially my emotions are okay. I'm like, okay, that's fine, yeah, we'll, I'll get my gift next time I see you. I can cope. But then I look at everyone else making the effort. Oh, they posted stuff, they posted stuff. And I think of how easy it is to go to the post office, how easy it is to get a stamp on it, how easy... Yeah, and maybe just how lazy they are. And I get quite angry. And uh, then I see them, I get a really good present, and they're completely and utterly forgiven. But waiting can be tough. Waiting can be tough. There may be a few of us here this morning who feel like that when it comes to meeting with Jesus. When it comes to receiving spiritual gifts. That we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And we don't quite know what for. And initially it's okay, but then we can start to get angry. Two things that I just want to say very briefly. If, if you're sitting, if we're sitting this morning and you're like, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at, is one, maybe we have already received the gift, but we haven't got around to open it, opening it. And secondly, are we eagerly desiring it? So firstly, maybe the waiting has been there because we have the gift, we know what it is, but it's lying unopened. If you imagine a present with all the wrapping around it, we know what it will change if we open it. We know exactly what Jesus has deposited in our soul. You know what you're for, but you can't let it in. You can't let it grow. Maybe we're scared this morning. Maybe we're doubtful. Maybe we know that opposition will come. Opposition will come. That's a, that's a given. The enemy doesn't like it when we operate exactly where God wants us to be. And he loves it when we leave our gifts unopened. I had a, a picture of it like being like an air freshener, you know, the Glade plug-ins you get. That, that maybe some of us, have, it's like a Glade plug-in and it's in the wall. It's ready to go and we just need to turn the switch. We just need to turn the switch. It's in the socket, ready to be turned on. Jesus wants to do that with each of us, to just switch it on and just let us operate fully in the gifts that he's given us. And then secondly, secondly, are we eagerly desiring them? Are we eagerly desiring the gifts that God has given us? It's not enough to open, be open to them, to think, oh, well, they're, they're pretty good. 
suppose I could do one or two of those gifts that he's given me. I suppose that would fit in, but I'm not so sure. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire, we're to be zealous for them, to hunger for their presence. And Paul's words aren't just a statement. They're a command. Will you ask, 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 seek, knock down, knock, 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 batter down the door of heaven and say, Jesus, I want some of this because I want people to meet with you. I want people to know what I have. I want people to know the hope that is in my life. I want people who are lost just now, the people that are lonely, the people that don't know where they're heading. I want them to know you, to be zealous for them. And if we're sitting here this morning and are Christians and we're not yearning after more of God and his love and his gifts, then we need to be in a journey of asking, why, Lord? Why? And to find the answer and to have honest times, that might come from just honest times of conversation, times of prayer and fellowship with people we know and love in the church family. But we must be asking, why? And if you're not a Christian this morning as well, this is what you're missing out on. Amazing, amazing just amazing opportunity to see God move, to see God bring light in the darkest of places. And as we seek God's face, as we press into him in prayer, as we look to follow as a church, the vision that we have to be a growing, worshiping community of Jesus followers, passionate about being and speaking good news to the world. We need spiritual gifts. We need God's presence. That's what makes the difference. We don't make the difference. We don't. If we try doing that, we'll dry up. Let's eagerly desire, properly go for it. Fling ourselves towards the kingdom of God with open arms. Because when we do that, more happens. More happens. We hand over the keys. We say, Jesus, will you just be the driver? Will you use me? It's like that deep end diving board jump. It's like that cliff jump. It's like the bungee cord. Just taking a risk, just going for it. What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? So we are to receive the gifts and use them to do the stuff. Maybe we know the gifts are swirling around our head right now. Jesus wants us to do the stuff that he did. And the end point for all of this is that God gifts his love, his forgiveness, his hope, and a whole heap of tools to, to make a difference, to overcome the enemy. And these gifts are for right now. These gifts change, change lives. These gifts heal bodies. These gifts change people's courses of life. These, pe these gifts draw us closer to God. And this, his ultimate plan for this church, for this area, for our lives, to save the lost. And we must be stirring together the need for doing this stuff, to take risks, to practice, practice in small groups, practice here in church. And sometimes it'll be God, sometimes it'll be us. And that's okay. I'd much rather have more instances of it being us if it allows God just that one or two times to move in his power and to change our lives and others' lives. I'm just going to play a very short video uh, which is going to come up just in terms of doing this stuff. I, I watched it this week and I thought it was just absolutely brilliant. And uh, it's from a man called John Wimber who headed up the vineyard movement and uh, it's just really powerful. I'm going to stop speaking.
the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few and cast out a few demons and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. So good, isn't it? So good. And yeah, just really, yeah, just a good video in terms of doing this stuff. And the last reply, if we could just very quickly, I've literally got two lines on it just to close up, uh, if we get it up on the screen, if possible, is I want more. I want more. To hunger for more. And in almost every other context, when we say that, that can be seen as rude. That can be seen as offensive. 
That could be deeply hurtful to the person that we say it to, but God longs for that, to say, I want more. Why don't we stand?